Thank you, Chuck. What a joy it is for me to be back at Carlton Landing Community Church. There's something different, though. Where we're at looks a little different than all the other times I came. This is my first time to be with you in this facility. And all I can say is to God be the glory. Great things he has done. I believe I was in the next to last Sunday in the tent with you, maybe speaking for the last time before you made the move. And I just look around and say, this has to be the Lord. And it is a great privilege of mine to come and to uh, be with you on this, uh, this Lord's Day. If you are here for the first time, whatever you do, please come back. You need to come back and hear the pastor. And this church has an excellent preaching, teaching pastor, and you will want to hear uh, him. And he was very gracious and kind to me in uh, extending the invitation, and he gave me a lot of flexibility and leeway, as it were, about, you know, what possible subject uh, to be addressed. And um, so we've got a lot going on, you know. It is Super Bowl Sunday. But since the men didn't talk about it in their Bible study, I'm not going to talk about it either here today. It is Valentine's Day tomorrow. And um, maybe we ought to talk about that one in a little while. But uh, I hope everybody's covered already. Looking forward to a good day tomorrow. I tell you what, I just want to pause for a second and say how wonderful it is to uh, worship uh, with you and with Becca today. Becca was actually one of my former students at Southwestern Christian University, both she and her husband, Alex. And so I didn't know she was going to be here. I'm just, I'm just thrilled to, uh, to get to uh, worship with her and, um, and her, some of her family this morning. Now, um, something else is happening, and that is that's going on is the Olympic Games. Have you, anybody been watching the Olympics? Some of you? I struggle to get into some of the winter games as much as I do the summer games because I really don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm watching. I don't know what the rules are. Now, anything that involves a, a judge in any event, whether it's winter or summer, I, I, I pretty much have to stay away from that because I don't know what they're evaluating. The announcer knows. Uh, they understand what they're talking about, but... That's a struggle for me. But anything that involves a race of any kind, I can understand. The one who gets there first, the fastest, is going to win. And I can, I can follow that and track that. And so that's a part of what I want to talk to you about this uh, morning. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you choose to follow along, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the last chapter in the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote that's included in the New Testament. And so here's what he said in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they 
heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Therefore, it is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And then he kept on writing. I'm just going to read a few of these other verses. Verse 9, he said, Do your diligence to come shortly to me, for Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present evil world, and he's departed to Thessalonica, and Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with you, for he's profitable to me for the ministry. Tychius have I sent to Ephesus, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus. When you come, bring with you and the books, but especially the parchments. And he keeps on writing, and we move down all the way to verse 21. And he says, do your diligence to come before winter. Then I want to go back, chapter 2, and read just the first two verses there. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And the things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I want to talk to you today about the two races that every Christian is called upon to run. There are two races that if we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's expecting us to run. Now that's not unusual that an athlete would would have two races. Sometimes if you're good enough in track or an Olympian or something, you enter into more than one event. But the unique thing about what I want to talk to you about is these two races that we're called on to run, he's expecting us to run them at the same time. We're running two races at the same time. Now, the Apostle Paul has uh, written, as I said, A lot of letters already. But he's writing this from a Roman dungeon. We know among the letters that he wrote, he wrote Ephesus uh, to the Ephesians and uh, to the church at Ephesus. He wrote to the Philippians, to Philemon, to Colossians. Those four are called the prison epistles. Why? Paul was in jail when he wrote them. And here, as I've already told you, he is writing again from prison, from a Roman dungeon. But why does he not, uh, why is Second Timothy not classified as a prison epistle along with those other four? And the reason is, when you read those other four letters, he is talking about what he's going to do when he gets free. When he gets out of prison, he's got a, a, an agenda, he's got it mapped out, he's got it lined out what he believes the Lord wants him to do. But when you read this last letter, not only does he not talk about getting out of prison and doing more ministry here on the earth, he knows it's not going to happen. 
He knows his next move isn't going to be a lateral move. It's going to be an upward move. I was sitting here thinking I could have read a wonderful text in 2 Corinthians 5 and, and 1. I was sitting over there thinking, rather, before I stood up. He, Paul said, uh, for we know if this earthly house be dissolved, we have a building made with God eternal in the heavens. And uh, he's talking about when this body decays and death happens and this body is laid down, we have a glorified body that the, the Lord is preparing for us. And I've heard, I heard a sermon years ago, and that's what I thought of sitting over there called From the Tent to a Tabernacle. And they said that's what the words actually mean that Paul was saying in that 2 Corinthians passage. When we die, it's like laying down this body. We've been living in a tent down here, but he has a specially designed tabernacle. Wouldn't that have fit good here this morning? Just think about this. All right, I'll have to work on that one. But thinking about, about what Paul is writing here, he's writing his last words that are going to be included in Scripture. And it's to his credit, he's writing to a young man, a preacher's, uh, a son, a preacher boy, a son in the faith. Paul was not a married man. He had no children. But throughout this letter, he calls Timothy, my son. He's a spiritual son. And so what is he going to say in this last page that is, that's going to be included in the, the word of God that we have today? It's to his credit, he's still thinking about ministry on one hand. And he said, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. He, he said, be instant in season and out of season and reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. When he said, I charge you, he's given Timothy a commission. This is a strong urging from the aged apostle to the young Timothy. Wow. And he tells him what? Preach the word. That's, that's what he's concerned about continuing. And he said, be instant in season and out of season. And I didn't know that Brother Chuck found out I'd preached my first sermon 45 years ago. I know what some of you are going to think when you leave here. I ought to be better at this than I am by now. If I've had 45 years to work on this. But I remember shortly after I started preaching, somebody asked me one time, they said, what do, you, what do you think that means, be instant in season and out of season? And I think it means kind of when you're ready, when you're prepared, and when you're not. But I remember answering something to the effect way back then, I think it means preach it when they like it and preach it when they don't. Preach it in a big church, preach it in a small church. Preach it when they give you an offering. Preach it when they don't. Preach it when they ask you back. Preach it when they run you off. Preach it when it's popular. Preach it when it's persecuted. But if people are going to find Jesus, if they're going to hear the gospel, if they're going to come to know the truth, somebody somewhere has got to keep preaching the word. Do you agree? And Paul tells Timothy, because the time's going to come, men aren't going to, they're not going to listen to sound doctrine. They've got their ears already tuned to hear stories and fables and things, and they're not going to accept the truth. But he said, when that comes, you stand up and you preach the word. And here is why it's so urgent to Paul. He said there in about verse 5, he said, For I'm ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. This is the first 
race that we're called upon to run as Christians. It is the race from earth to glory. It begins at the moment we embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord, and it doesn't end until we see him face to face. Whether we die or he comes for us and the race is over, that's what Paul's talking about here. He said, I'm ready to be offered. He's the man who was always ready. He said one occasion, I'm ready not just to live, I'm ready to die for the Lord. I'm ready to preach at Rome. I'm ready to go up to Jerusalem. And here he says, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've been doing a lot of flying the last couple of weeks. Things have opened up for me and in our ministry and travel around and try to raise interest and support for missions and do a lot of things. And, and I've been in a lot of airports. And, and um, when I see the word departure, that's airport language to me. You go, you know, many times my wife has dropped me off at Will Rogers Airport in Oklahoma City. And they got two signs when you, when you get there. You drive up and it just says arrivals and departures. And I always say the same thing to her. and She just shakes her head at me. I say, am I coming or going today? That's what I want to know. And, and, and when, you're, when you're coming back home especially but waiting on any flight, there are some words you don't want to see next to your flight number. You do not want to see the word delayed. You do not want to see the word Canceled. Oh, I've seen some of those this year. The two best words you could possibly see are on time, right? And I like it when it says the plane is at the gate. That's good news there as well. Paul is saying, I know airplanes hadn't been invented when he's writing this in the first century, but when he said the time of my departure is at hand, he can feel the tug from heaven. In his own spirit. And he realizes, I'm not going to be here much longer. And he knows what's going to happen. He says, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. It sounds like everything's been taken care of that he needs to do. And he said, there's a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day. And not to me only, unto all those that love his appearing. He knows what's going to happen at any moment, any day. He doesn't know when. They'll open the prison door take him to the executioner's block and his head is going to be severed from his body. I don't hear any fear in his words. I don't see the apprehension and the anxiety. I hear him talking about a crown. The moment the blade strikes his, his flesh on the earth, God is waiting in heaven with a crown of righteousness. That's the first race that we're all called upon to run in the Christian life. And that is just to make it. To make it to heaven. Now we're saved by grace. So we can't try to earn it by works. It, the whole race is a race of grace. But it involves making it. Completing it. Finishing well. That's what Paul did. I know I'm sure I told some of you when I was here in a previous visit. About the first time that uh, I uh, went to a. Uh, a marathon race and and so and my daughter Tara that a few of you have met she's come here at least once and she's a songbird she loves to sing and worship and be a part of the Lord's work but her other passion is running and she's going ahead now she's run several full marathons she's done a couple of Ironman she was scheduled a week ago down in Texas to do I think it's a 100 kilometer it's 60 miles 
Can you imagine? The girl ain't right, people. I'm telling you. I mean, this is nonsense. I I was going to say I'm not sure our bodies were. The Lord made our bodies for that. I know for a fact he didn't make my body for that. But she had never run um, a, a race, and she... When she started out, she didn't go for the half. Her first one was going to be a full marathon. And so it was the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon. This has been over 10 or 12 years ago now. And I figured, you know, if my daughter's going to train for a race like that for, for many, many months, as good parents, it would be good for us to be there at the finish line. But that race is always up until the pandemic, you know, is around the, the uh, end of April. And uh, that particular day of the race, we woke up, and it was cold. It was bitter cold. It rained. Uh, At times, there was some thunder. It hailed a little bit. There wasn't lightning. They didn't ever have to stop the race. But, oh, the wind was blowing. And did did I mention how cold it was? It was cold, okay. And so you don't know when she exactly is going to finish. And so, you're, and she'd never done one before, and you don't want to miss it, so you got to get down there a little bit early trying to calculate the time. And we're sitting there uh, on some bleachers near the finish line, and I tell you what, it didn't take long for me to become an unhappy camper. I was not very excited. It was cold, it was windy, it was raining, and, and I, I was thinking, what am I doing here, you know? But all of a sudden, I did something that, Anytime you do this, everything just changes. All of a sudden, I quit thinking about myself for a minute. And I started thinking about all these runners that's been out there. Some of them running 13 miles. Some of them 26 miles. And they've been doing this for hours now. And all of a sudden, instead of thinking about myself, I started thinking about them. And I was watching them. And here they came one by one. And they crossed the finish line. They were in all shapes and sizes. Some of them were happy and smiling. Others looked like they were in pain. Some of them were running by themselves. Some of them joined hands with somebody else. And they had a man. Have, have you been to a race? Have you? Anybody? You know, you know what I'm They've had these races, okay? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. At the end of the race, a man was standing there and he had a microphone. And... The runners had name tags on. And he would say, here comes John, and here comes Carol, and, 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 and look, there's Larry, and, and, and there, there's Philip, and, and here comes a finisher. Here comes a finisher. He got into that so much, and I got into watching this whole thing. My wife and I, we just started applauding and cheering on some of these that were crossing one after another. And all of a sudden, out there in the middle of the cold and the rain and everything, I thought, I wonder if this is what it's like in heaven When one by one, the children of God arrive in glory. When they close their eyes in death here, and there's sadness and weeping and mourning. But in the heavenly realm, trumpets are sounding and people are shouting. And they're welcoming the saints home one by one. And somebody in heaven calls them by name. Say, here comes a finisher. And I I just, tears started rolling down out of my eyes. I was a wet mess. I was just out there. And I tell you what, we got so excited doing that. I almost missed my daughter when she crossed the line. But she finished. That was a great moment. That's what I'm talking about. The first race. You've got to run it. You've got to finish. Whatever you do, you've got to finish well. It's for the smile on the face of the master. 
It's not just for a gold medal that will eventually fade away. It's for the master to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I did something the next day I'm not too proud of, but some of you dads would have done the same thing because the Daily Oklahoman at that time, they printed all the people that finished the marathon, right? The 26 miles and what their time was. And so I looked through that list till I found her name. I wanted to see how many people did she beat. (laughs) And I counted them. There they were. She didn't finish the last. She wasn't fast and she's still not fast. She's just a finisher. And so I counted how many that she beat. And I thought, she didn't just beat those. There's about 1,500,000 people that live here, including me. In this metropolitan area, we didn't even get off the couch. We didn't even start the race. Whatever you do, are you hearing me, Carlton Landing Church? we got to finish. We've got to finish like Paul did. But I told you there's two races that we have to run, and there's another run, another race we're running at the same time. We do have one eye on the finish line. And at any moment, the Lord could call us home. But Paul kept writing, and all of a sudden, he, he says, Timothy, get here as quick as you can. Verse 9, do your diligence to come here. And he looks, it, it looks like he's looking around and he's calling the roll. And he's feeling somewhat lonely at the end of the journey. He said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Wouldn't that be awful to have your name in the Bible one time, and the one time it's there, you get it in there and it says, you forsook the Lord. You forsook the Apostle Paul. Wow. Demas has forsaken me. And then Crescens is gone and Titus are gone. They haven't gone back to the world, but they're in ministry somewhere. And Paul feels all by himself. So he says, Timothy, I want you to get here as quick as you can. Come and see me. He said, only Luke is with me. Thank God for Dr. Luke. Thank God for some true blue friends that will be with you even at the end. On one hand, we all have more friends than we think we do. But on the other hand, I think we may have less friends than we think we do. How many of you know Facebook doesn't count when we're talking about true friends? A true friend is somebody that, that rushes in to your, to your side when everybody else is running out. That's a true friend. The second race is this race that Paul talked about back in chapter 2. I read to you in verse 2. He said, Timothy... I want you to take this gospel that you've heard from me and I want you to give it to faithful men so they can in turn give it to others. Have you found out that the Christian life isn't a hundred yard dash? It's not one of those short races. How many found out it's a marathon? It's a lifelong journey, a lifelong marathon. But it's not only a marathon, it's a marathon with hurdles. You gotta jump over stuff. But it's not only a marathon with hurdles, it's also a relay race. And the idea of the relay race is the second second race that all of us are called upon. He's calling on us to share what we have with others so they can share it with others, so they can share it with others even when we are gone. I remember one time in, in uh, the class, Becca, at, uh, at the college, and uh, uh, for some reason, maybe I, w- I was teaching in, uh, in 2 Timothy and talking about this passage about 
giving to others what you've heard from me so they can give it to others. And we went around and I actually had them play that game we used to where you start with one person and tell them something and it goes all the way around the room. You remember playing that when you were young? And uh, I said, don't. You only can say it once. Don't anybody deliberately change it. And so the first person came up and I said, here's the message. Don't change the message. That's it. And so it went all the way around the room. And I thought they did so well, we almost got it back with the same wording. But we had a young man who was there from Korea, and he was still kind of struggling with the language. And anyway, I think that's where the snafu happened. But when it came back, it said, don't change the sausage. (laughs) We were almost there. We almost had it. But how how much? How many of you know almost isn't good enough when we're talking about the message of the gospel and the word of God? Paul said, get get here as quick as you can, Timothy. Come and get here as quick as you can. And he said, "Bring, bring Mark. He said, only Luke. Thank God Dr. Luke is with with him. But he said, bring Mark. He's profitable to me for the ministry. You Bible readers might Remember back in the book of Acts, Paul and Mark had a little conflict one time. Paul had gone on a missionary trip with uh, Barnabas and Mark. Barnabas' cousin went on the trip too, but Mark got a little homesick and he wanted to go back home. And Paul got frustrated and aggravated. He had to stop and deal with that. And so they're going on the second trip and Paul is there and Barnabas is there. And Mark shows up with his luggage and Paul said, what's he doing here? And Barnabas said, he's going with us. And Paul said, no, he's not. And if you think I'm making it up, you can kind of read and what's going on. Paul said, he's a mama's boy. He's a crybaby. We're going to get halfway around the world and have to deal with him. He's not going with us. And the conflict was so great between the two. Barnabas spoke up and he said, I tell you what, there's another man over here, Silas, a young guy. He wants to go to Paul. You take him and, I, and go one way and I'll take, I'll take Mark and go the other way. Barnabas is the hero in the story there because he walked out of the word of God. He didn't walk out of the will of God. The will of God was wherever he went. The word of God is going to keep shining on where Paul went. But at the end of his life, for some reason, Paul said, bring Mark. We don't know why Paul wanted to see Mark, but is it possible he just wanted to affirm that young man in ministry and said, I want you to know all is forgiven, all is forgotten. The Lord is with you and to bless him as he continued on in ministry. I kept reading and I think I read the verse to you. Paul said, get my coat, get my books and especially the parchments, the scripture and get here as quick as you can come before winter it's not enough to just give your heart to Jesus and then as it were live an individual life going to heaven he's calling on us at the same time to share the gospel with others so they can share it with others so they can share it with others and right down near the end of the chapter I read to you it said it said uh, come before winter Okay, come before winter. Becca, can you come and play something here softly? I'm kind of known, or I used to be, as the preacher that liked to have music at the end. Right? And the reason I do, it gives them hope I'm going to (laughs) finish. Right? Am I the only one that likes hope? I, 
See, you're feeling better already. She hit, she hit the first chord, and some of you already are smiling. You haven't smiled through the whole sermon, and now we're, I may not be any closer to the end, but you think I am. Hey, when you've done this 45 years, this isn't my first rodeo or roundup, is it? That's beautiful. That's perfect. I don't even have to tell her. Put, just put something in a major key and that'll work. Do you get a picture? Paul's in the Roman dungeon. At any moment, they could open up the door, carry him to his execution. But he's writing his last words, and he, he talked about the end of his race. He's almost crossing the finish line. But then he said, Timothy, get here as quick as you can. I need to see you. And he said, bring, bring Mark. Luke, Dr. Luke is with me. Get my coat. Winter's coming on. He said, come before winter. And that's how the book ends, really. One little salutation at the end. So what happened? We don't know. We don't know. One of two things could have happened there, I think. Um, Timothy, the young man, is pastoring in Ephesus. He gets that letter from Paul. He could have read that in the last line and said, oh, Paul wants me to come and wants me to get Mark and his book and all these things and I'm going to do it but I've got all these other things that I'm doing and he could have just left it on his desk and kind of was going to get to it when he could and days became weeks and some weeks went by and maybe finally he said I've got to do it now and he gets Mark and he gets what Paul asked for and they arrive at the shipping lane but the reason Paul said come before winter he's saying if you don't come before winter you might not need to come at all they would close the shipping lanes in the winter. Wouldn't it have been awful if they made it to the, the ship? Sign said closed for the winter. A couple of months had to go by before Timothy repeats the process. And he gets Mark and he gets the books and he gets the coat. And he arrives finally in Rome and he says, We're here to see the prisoner. The one they call the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't it have been sad if the... If the soldier would have said, don't you know we executed him a few weeks ago? You wouldn't be Timothy, would you? He was asking about you. He was looking for you. Wouldn't that have been horrible? I'm telling you, we're leaving too many things undone. We're waiting until we go to too many funerals and we're saying, oh, I wish I'd have, wished I'd have said something or done something for them. I don't think that's what happened. Between you and I, I think Timothy got this letter that Paul wrote, pleading with him to come as quickly as he could. And I think Timothy said, I've got to go see my mentor. I've got to go see the man that has meant so much to me. And I think he delegated the pastoral duties to somebody else. He quickly sent out word and had Mark to meet up with him. He gathered up the books, the scriptures, his coat, and I believe they made it on time personally. And so the way I would picture the last days of Paul's life ending, four faithful men sitting together, sharing the scriptures, praying. It's Paul and Luke and Timothy and Mark. And when that time came for Paul to go to his execution, it may be those faithful friends were nearby and got to go with him all the way until he stepped into the heavenly gate. That's it. Two races.
Make sure you're running both of them. One of them is from earth to heaven. If you don't know the Lord, you can't finish unless you start. This is a great starting date, great starting place today. But the other race, it's a relay race. We got to get this gospel. We got to put it in somebody else's hands. Got to put it in a younger generation hands. And it's all right with me if the whoever runs that fourth leg of a relay, they that they run the bell lap. They're usually the fastest, right? They put them at the end. And this younger generation that's coming on with all of their intellect and savvy with technology. You put that together with their passion for the Lord. Nothing would make me happier than for them to outdo anything that I've ever tried to do for the Lord. Two races. We're running at the same time. You can be a winner in both of them. Amen? Stand to your feet with me. I want to pray with you here a moment, and then Becca's going to lead us in a song before our service ends. But Lord, we call upon your name right now. I thank you. I thank you for Carlton Landing Community Church. Thank you for the men and women, the families, the precious people that are here today and are a part of this church. Lord, thank you for the pastor and all of those that have gone to walk in the land where you walked. It's going to be a life-changing trip for many and most of them. We look forward to them coming back and sharing the stories of what they saw and what they heard. Today, Lord, I feel like your word seems as alive as if we had heard you speak it just right in our presence today. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice that hasn't even really started on the journey, let this be a day. They look up and say yes to you. Your grace reaches them. Their sins are all forgiven. And Lord, help us all to realize we're in the middle of a medley marathon. Somebody gave us this gospel and we've got to give it to somebody else. Bless all the moms and dads and the families. They're passing it on down to their children so their children can give it to their children and their children to their children. Do this, Lord. Continually in every heart, we pray in your name today. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.